Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I am Bill DeFilippo, joined by my co-host, Nick Polak. Nick, what's going on? Nothing much. It's a nice Sunday night after a solid day of NFL games and a really entertaining weekend for Penn State football. And for just Penn State in general, because Kanye West was here, and that's always a good time. Yeah, uh, we're true. Yeah, we are certainly uh, a lot happier than we were for last week's recap podcast. Of course, this week Penn State had its Big Ten home opener hosting Minnesota, and the Nittany Lions won twenty-nine to twenty-six in overtime on a Saquon Barkley run that I think I have gone back and watched the video of that like twenty, thirty times. Like it was one of those things that reminds us why he's one of the best running backs in America. Like, yeah, yeah, he was uh, great. Yeah, I, I, I still, I still <laughs> think I enjoyed the Temple run more, but that might have just been because of the call was so good to go along with it. Like this, this one was also great, but I don't know. They were close. They're yeah. both great. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit more in this edition of the podcast coming up. But before we do that, we should probably introduce our guest. Uh, you may know her from the Center Daily Times. Uh, she is. About to leave State College to go cover the Carolina Panthers for the Charlotte Observer. She's leaving sometime next week, so we're glad to get uh, get her on the pod before she gets out of town. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Jordan Rodrigue. Jordan, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. And, and Bill, I have a question for you. What's Has up? anyone ever told you that your podcast voice is a little bit different than your regular voice? Yeah, <laughs> I was in comm radio for a while, and they Ah, that me. explains yeah, it. Yeah. It was it was yeah. bad. I really hate it. And also, I have like this weird echo from uh, that Nick told me I should talk really softly because I got a new microphone and now it's making it. Basically, sound like basically Bill it. needs more stuff in his house. Yeah, <laughs> I really do. I mean, yeah, it's kind of terrible. But yeah, thank you again for being on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Great to be here. All right, let's let's dive in. Uh, I think the place to start was. Last week, we were talking a lot about how Penn State was, uh, it was kind of on a tipping point if it lost to Minnesota and then maybe lost to Maryland, which according to Las Vegas, it looks like Penn State is going to be in a really close one with the Terrapins next week. Things could get a little bit hairy. Penn State was able to come from behind and get a really big win. Jordan, uh, Nick and I kind of sit off to the side and watch this stuff from afar you're in the locker room after the games, talking to the players, you're in the press conferences, stuff like that. How big did you think this team was, both for the team and really for James Franklin? Well, I, I don't think I've ever seen James Franklin in that good of a mood. So I think that speaks volumes. He's been um, a little bit demure as of late in the last couple of weeks. And to see him come in and, and really it was hard for him to even sit down in front of us in the postgame presser. You could tell he wanted to be up and walking around and, he wanted us to see what the locker room looked like afterward, and then he took that back because that's um, not allowed in college athletics, obviously, and there's 60 of us on the beat, so might get a little bit cramped. But he was so excited. He told us the locker room looked like Soul Plane after the game, which I thought was <laughs> hilarious. Um, and I also had to explain to some of my my uh, more established gentlemen on the beat, you know, they, they weren't really sure what Soul Plane was, so I kind of had to explain. How dare they? explain that but that was pretty funny um yeah no really really high spirits after the game so I think that's something that I personally have not seen in a while at Penn State so I think in terms of um, post game so I think that that was really really important especially after the absolute walloping at the hands of Michigan so I thought it was really really important now James Franklin probably doesn't want this to be the the game that 
turns the tide for Penn State or the game that is kind of, I don't want to say signature, yeah. but one of those that, that really have has helped mature a team because I don't think that, that Penn State in general wants, you know, Minnesota to be that person or that team to them. But I, I really think this was incredibly important for everybody involved. Um, and like I said, I have not seen James Franklin in that high of spirits ever, even, even on – even on a casual, you know, if I'll casually run into him downtown with his his family or something, I've, I've never seen him that amped up and excited. That was the backhand spring out of bed, James Franklin, right there. <laughs> well, I mean, Minnesota did get two votes in this week's coaches poll, so are are a pretty good team. Uh, oh if, if, yeah, I was going to say they want to call yeah. it a signature win. They can hang their hat on the fact that they beat a team with two votes in this week's coaches poll. So I mean, if Penn that. State. If Penn State doesn't want to call anyone a rival in the first place, I don't think. And my point is, I don't think that they want to uh, call this particular win a signature win. But I definitely think it was a huge, huge step in the maturation process of this team. Yeah, Nick, we kind of followed we followed along with things a bit after the game, and I kind of what Jordan said. I got a sense that it almost seemed like something was lifted off of Franklin, and I. Don't really want to go too da- far down this rabbit hole, but did you like? How certain are you that James Franklin is uh, is going to be here in two weeks compared to how you would have felt if Penn State fell to uh, Minnesota? Well, I never was really one to be on the the these next two weeks are going to either save his yeah. job or lose his job train just because the circumstances are very, very extenuating. And there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes and off the record that, that you know, the, a lot of the, the public probably won't ever know about with, with that program. And so I think that, you know, I definitely thought that the importance of this, of the next two weeks loomed rather large, especially in light of just such a horrible loss to Michigan. Um, I don't think that, uh, I think that his job was, his job status was definitely uh, fair to be questioned by the public, but I definitely don't think that there was any cause for concern for him. He just doesn't like to lose. So I don't yeah. think that, you know, as nobody, nobody likes to lose. So I think that he knew it's, it's a, it's a statement win. I wouldn't call it a signature. I'd call it a statement. He, he hears the criticism and he's going to go out and try and win with this young and incredibly beat up roster that he has to work with right now. Nice. Nice. Uh, Nick, after, like, just how do you feel after this one? Do you feel a little bit more, uh, I know you were one of the more level-headed fans after last week. Uh, do you feel a little bit, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A little reassured in how you were feeling last week based on this game? I do, yeah. Um, so I, I've never really thought that he, there was a chance of him getting fired during this season. Uh, I I know getting the public uh endorsement from your athletic director isn't always actually a good thing um but the way that sandy worded it i that kind of helped me feel a little safer about his job even going into this game um but being able to come out of this one with a victory i think does a lot for perception around the program um because especially if they lose that game then all the talk surrounding it is probably focused on how bad the offense was in the first half but mm-hmm. in, instead, because they were able to come back, then the talk is more centered around how the defense stepped up and persevered, how they made adjustments, uh, how the offense obviously bounced back big time. Uh, so I think in terms of pers- about his ability to coach and his perception 
impression of him just uh, after this one, and I, I do feel a little I, I feel a little vindicated for for kind of sticking with him through this past week. So yeah. Yeah, Nick, yeah, and I want to point out too. Sorry, sorry, Bill. Um, I just I wanted to point out real quick too that you know James Franklin entered the season and all all spring um, after the hire of Joe Moorhead and, and all the reshuffling they did and then the departures of all those guys to the NFL and then in in the fall as well he was not throwing out these big lofty statements that he was you know um, last fall when he said you know the offensive line is going to be they know what was wrong and they're ready to show what they can do and, and this and that. And, and, and there wasn't such lofty expectations. I don't think they, people, I think he, he tempered expectations a little bit better. I think he handled that a little bit better this, this off season and coming into this fall. I think that when people look back at the big picture, I think they will, they'll, they'll see he never once, you know, promised anything or raised expectations higher than, they really should have been realistically. Obviously, you know, a new offensive coordinator is a really exciting thing. So he kind of let that get carried away by itself. But I, I definitely think that he did a great job measuring those expectations. They are pretty much meeting the expectations. I think if you look at it realistically, they're they're essentially meeting the expectations. It is a mess to watch this team, but it's also really fun to watch this team. And I think that the scrappy nature of it is really turning some some fans on to the program and really um, causing some of these playmakers to become these almost like cult heroes, I guess I would call it. Uh, definitely not saying that this is a, you know, football in general is develops these kinds of passionate followings. And, and so I think that it's definitely, it's interesting. These, these playmakers stand out all the more um, for some of their intangible qualities because it is such a mess. It's easy for someone to kind of rise above that sometimes. So it's, it's really fascinating to me to watch the dynamic of all that. Yeah, I mean, we've mentioned this on the site, on the pod, all that before. And it, it's more fun to watch a team that is winning games or losing games that are just completely like bonkers. Like, mm-hmm. I would much rather watch Penn State lose a game like 45-42 than I would watch, would rather watch Penn State lose a game like 14-10. to 10. It, There's just something endearing about that. And the fact that Penn State is, instead of losing those games where it's a little higher scoring and weird things are happening to winning those games, that's something reassuring and something that's going to be a lot of fun going forward. And I think that leads to a lot of really good takeaways. And Nick, I want to start with you. On this, what was your biggest takeaway from this game that was a positive? That was something that made you happy, maybe made you excited for next week and going forward. Trace McSorley might not be the best quarterback in the world. He might not have the strongest arm. He might not be the fastest dude or the biggest dude. He might not make the right decision on the read option a lot of the time. Nick, I want a but good that thing, du- not like a mean. But that You're dude. Asking what you like, dude. But that <laughs> dude. That dude is going to fight until the very last whistle. And I think that is really, really cool to see. And it's not that Christian Hackenberg didn't yeah. do that because he absolutely did. But it just it looks very different with Mick Sorley. And that's probably because he probably it when watching him, you tell you can tell he has to try a little harder to do some of the things that Hackenberg did. Just, <laughs> I mean, Hackenberg was he's a physical specimen, he everything came easy to him aside from throwing screen passes. Uh but it's I don't know. Just watching Trace, it's kind of what Jordan said about just that scrappy mentality that turns fans onto a team, and that's that's embodied in Trace. And I mean, whether it's that 
touchdown run uh, fighting for the goal line there. Maybe it's that huge 26-yard run to get him into field goal range. Whatever it is he's doing, he just he's exciting. He's exciting to watch and I don't know if he I still don't know if he's the long-term answer at quarterback, but at least for this year, he's he's just an exciting dude to watch and I really enjoy seeing him play. Yeah, it's Also Jordan sounds so much better than both of us talking about football. I just realized it during that last thing she said. It's ridiculous. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think you guys are doing great. <laughs> You're making us blush, Jordan. No, I mean it's it's very obvious that one person on this pod actually covers the team and the other ones just like sit on couches and watch football and retweets from the people who are in the in the press box and whatnot. So thank you, Jordan, for coming onto our podcast and making us look bad. We really appreciate it. <laughs> it's my pleasure. <laughs> Moving yeah, uh kind of the same thing question for you, Jordan. Watching this game, uh what's the biggest takeaway uh in a positive sense that you had? Well, you know what? I'm going to agree with Nick. Trace McSorley, I think, is the physical embodiment of this team. Um, And I think that in all facets, he's young. He is maybe a little bit uh, undersized in some parts. I mean, we can't obviously say Saquon Barkley or Irvin Charles are undersized. But, I mean, they kind of have – there's some things stacked up against them in some cases, a lot of these guys on the team. Um, he is scrappy as heck. He, are you allowed to, are, am I allowed to say hell on this podcast? Yeah, you course. can edit this out later. Okay. He's scrappy as hell. <laughs> um, he, um, you know, he, he's exciting to watch and he makes things happen. And again, I, I'm so impressed by one major thing about Trace McSorley. And it's something that it's a trend with him. Every single game, there is something that it, a learning curve of sorts presents itself to him, and by the third quarter, he has fixed it, or he has figured yeah. out a way around it, not or even through it in some cases. I mean, you guys have seen some of the hits that he's taken. So I do have. I was tweeting earlier. I fa- I was diving deep into the college football stat sites, and sometimes I get lost down the rabbit hole um, of that. But you know, he still leads the Big Ten in passing yards through five games. He's got uh, I think twelve hundred eighty-four. So he's still leading the Big Ten in passing yards, but he is number nine nationally in comeback efforts. So he, in passing yards and comeback efforts, he has 281 yards when the team's down by 8 to 14 points, 208 when down 1 to 7 points. And he also has 40% of his passing yards, over 400, almost 500 passing yards in the third quarter alone and 163 quarterback rating in the third quarter. So to me, that shows that Trace McSorley, he sees challenges. He is able to compartmentalize and and um, really focus on these challenges in-game, and he's able to adapt. And I think also part of that is Joe Moorhead, but I think that's why you see that Trace McSorley is going to be the quarterback that, that gets Penn State kind of to where it needs to be, not because he can has the arm and not because he's you know, the biggest guy or the strongest or the most outspoken or you know he's not going to be the Josh Rosen leader on social media, et cetera, et cetera. But he in game shows this team that if they need to run through a brick wall to get the win, that's what they're just going to have to do. So I'm really impressed with this kid. Um, I, I've been impressed with this kid since the spring. Everyone I've talked to about this kid has, has sworn by him and they would, they would run through a wall for the kid as well. And I just, I'm just really, really impressed with this guy. Yeah. I just searched on Twitter, Hackenberg McSorley. And it's amazing how quickly the tweets go from McSorley was trash, Hackenberg was so much better than McSorley is awesome, Hackenberg was really bad. It's it's fun. It's college football's a weird thing because stuff like that happens so quickly. And you kind of bring up a point that we made 
last week, and that's that people just gravitate to this kid because he's just such a natural leader. And I think we kind of saw that after the Michigan game when he responded like he just didn't know what to do after losing a football team where his team got blown out. And it's a lot of credit to him that he was able to bounce back in such a way against uh, against Minnesota. Again, 35, 335 yards through the air, 73 on the ground, two touchdowns in just a really tough effort out of him. So that was really great to see. I'm going to give some love to Marcus Allen. Um, Penn State, I've been really worried about what happens if people get past the line of scrimmage, and <laughs> which I think is a pretty pretty common concern considering if you play linebacker for Penn State, you're just like cursed and going to get hurt and all that. But Allen really, I, I mean, saying he had a huge game is kind of selling him short. 22 total tackles, eight solo tackles. He had a tackle for loss. Minnesota didn't have a play over 37 yards. He was just cleaning up everything that happened in front of him. And this was the kind of effort that when we talk about Marcus Allen going back to his freshman year when he was kind of forced into action due to a couple of injuries and he really seemed like, I mean, Bob Shoup compared him very favorably to Cam Chancellor of the Seattle Seahawks. He seemed like the kind of guy, yeah, who could step in and make a huge impact for the Nittany Lions and back. And it's just kind of hasn't come together completely for him over the last year and a half or so. He's always seemed like he, he's not he, he's not as decisive as he was when he was a freshman. And part of that has to do with the fact that when you're playing next to a guy like Jordan Lucas, he makes it very easy for you to do whatever you want because he'll clean up all your mistakes. But this was really the first game in a while where he just turned into a a human missile. He was tackling everything, cleaning up every mistake that happened beyond that second level of Penn State's defense. And it it's really, really optim it makes me really optimistic to see a dude play like this when Penn State is trying to figure out what it needs to do on defense to prevent teams from gaining hundreds and hundreds of yards and scoring a ton of points. I mean Minnesota still had uh let me see if I can find the number here. 469 yards of total offense, so not great, but hey, they only put up 26 points, and when with Penn State's offense being able to score with McSorley and Barkley and all that, I'll happily take something like that, giving up so many yards and not a lot of points, and you know, being able to get the win. Uh, moving on to the next thing, let's kind of look at the other side of the coin. Uh, the biggest takeaway that's a negative from this game, uh, Jordan, I'll start with you, and uh, does your answer have to do some do with uh, kicking field goals from within the two yard line? Well, <laughs> I supremely dislike that. <laughs> I tell you, I certainly do not agree with that ever. And so, um, yeah, I, I I was one of the the ones I think that I didn't agree with it against Michigan. I was very vocal about that. Um, I don't agree with it now. I think that if you're going to be aggressive and, and tout an aggressive play caller and tout a lot of um, creative autonomy in your offensive coordinator, I think that you have to stick with it the entire game. I think that if you are down by only three, then okay, be down by three if you miss the f- if you don't get the points. And I understand that their short run game is just truly awful, which also doesn't make sense to me because they have Saquon Barkley, but yes. then they also have a wet paper towel trying to push holes in the in the line but 
I, I don't think, is that mean? I don't know, but okay. So <laughs> that's, that's, we've heard a lot of ways to discuss Penn State's offensive line and a wet paper towel is a new one. I well, swear Ryan Bates I could bring is going to get some, better. I'm glad I could bring in some, some ingenuity, but yeah, no, I definitely don't think that they can do the, the short, the short yardage, you know, pound the ball in three yards in a cloud of dust, Andre Robinson. Like, I just don't think that's going to work. So I really like when you get tricky at the goal line in the red zone. I like trickery like that. And and that's, I think Joe Moorhead, I think he has a lot of those in his bag. I understand not using all of them because it is a young offense and it's a young team. And you see sometimes these receivers are running wrong routes and, you know, people aren't picking up the blocks they need to pick up. And, And I think that that's fair for a young team. But when they ran that fake flea flicker, um, I think it was two weeks ago, or it was, it was against Pitt. They ran a fake flea flicker, or excuse me, a flake, I can't say this word fast. (laughs) They can't, they ran a fake Statue of Liberty and they, they faked the handoff and then it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. And then they, it was a touchdown. And I think that, um, I think that there are so many different things and, and that not only running a play successfully like that, not only does it prove that you are who you say you want to be moving forward, aggressive and and gutsy and, you know, aggressive. And I think it, it, it definitely, it, it means you say you are who you say you are. And it also means that teams have to fear you when you get into those positions. Not a single team, not a one is going to fear a team that they know is going to get all the way to the goal line and then send in the kicking unit, no matter how good this kicker is. And he is very good. Nobody, nobody is afraid. Nobody's afraid of that. Nobody is going to be on their heels a little bit or, or anything like that. And, and I just really hope in the future we start to see aggressive play through and through because especially when they're trying to have these early starts and these fast starts where they're putting points on the board early and they have not done so yet. I think that those kinds of play calls and especially those kinds of, of plays run at the goal line like that, they can really flip the momentum of a game early and they can make it stay there but that's just my two cents yes. i'm not a coach <laughs> yeah uh nick same question to you uh for me it was that the minnesota rushing game still uh bit off a bunch of yards uh they went for 228 on 48 carries so they're like 4.75 per carry no i didn't do that in my head i used my calculator oh, okay uh but yeah i mean I mean, compared to some of the past performances, Penn State's rush defense was better. Um, it's a little disappointing that giving up 228 yards on the ground is better, but it is. So <laughs> there there was improvement, but still, I, I mean, they, they're they not going to be able to beat teams like Iowa and Michigan State and Indiana who are all not great and they're all beatable, but... If they're going to give up that many rushing yards against teams like that, then they're not going to be able to win those games. So I think this is probably the third week now, um, at, in total at least, not counting the Michigan game, where we've seen the defense make some big-time adjustments in the second half and really bear down, especially in the run game. So I'd just really like to see them take that next step moving forward and try to at least do a better job against the run early in the game because that'll go a really long way towards uh, 
being able to go out and get that faster start that we've been craving for this team. So yeah, my my biggest negative takeaway is that they still are struggling against the run. Yeah, and you actually hit on what my biggest negative takeaway is, uh, and that's getting off to these really slow starts. Uh, I don't think they'll hurt as badly uh, when Brandon Bell and Jason Cabinda and just some more bodies are back across the field and they're able to keep Minnesota from a team like Minnesota from putting up. 13 points in the first half while the offense has to kind of settle a little bit because uh, I don't remember if you or Matt wrote this, but one of you wrote that this team still shows how young it is. And one way it shows that is by early on in games when it just seems to take Penn State a little bit to kind of get kind of get rolling. And uh, I I don't want to say you can get away with that against Minnesota because Penn State was a little bit fortunate. Uh, to win a game 29 to 26, like going to overtime, all that. You can maybe get away with that uh, against a team like Maryland, but as it's looking, Maryland might be a little bit better than any of us pr- thought they would be, even though they haven't played anyone. But then against Ohio State, then against Iowa, then against Indiana, shout out to our friends at Crimson Quarry, and against and Rob Bolden. And Rob Bolden, and maybe Michigan State. I don't know if Penn State, if it's able to fall into one of those 13-3, to 14-6 uh, holes early on in a the game. They're going to fight to get back into them. But when you're that young of a football team, you would think that it, you may not be able to get the peak. When you're going for peaks and valleys in a game, sometimes those peaks aren't high enough. I mean, we saw that against Pitt. Of course, that's a bit of a special circumstance because Pitt got really, really far ahead in that game. But, again, what happens when you're going again? I mean, well, we know what's going to happen when they go against Ohio State. They're probably going to get whooped. But <laughs> against a team like Iowa, which is solid, not great. It's a winnable game, but you're not – and even though it's at home, you don't want to give them too big of a lead. Again, Indiana looks like they may be a pretty good football team. And that's on the road, and you don't want them getting out too far ahead and then relying on just getting hot. And Michigan State, by the end of the year, maybe they're able to figure out some of their issues. And maybe, you know, games against a really good Wisconsin team and a tricky game on the road at Indiana get to them. But I'm a little bit worried about these slow starts and what happens if they happen in some of these more important games. I think Maryland is actually going to be a really good test for this. Because Maryland is a team that has tried to play stout defense, tried to run the football, and they're able to run the football really well. So if they get a nice, solid lead, I'm a little bit worried about Penn State's ability to get the ball back from them and move the ball and score when they're just going to try and churn the clock down. So that'll be... Go ahead. I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you. I'm the worst. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) It's fine. I just think that probably one of the worst things that Penn State has done all year um, goes hand in hand with what you're saying, and it's it's broadcast exactly broadcast to opponents exactly how that opponent can beat them, and it's it's there's no it's really so cut and dry. Run the ball up on them, get out to an early lead, hold them from getting an early lead. You know, it's it's really cut and dry, and that's I think probably one of the worst things Penn State has done is you know exactly who they are if you're coming up against them. Yeah. And you know exactly how you're going to be, try to beat them. You know the formula that will that will beat them, and you know the players to key in on. And I think yeah. that's probably something they're trying to work really hard to fix. And then when you have so, so many players injured, it's it's not 
incredibly fixable. So that's probably, I think, one. And, and honestly, I don't know how to fix that immediately other than shoring up early, way earlier than you have. But again, you, you can't with so many young bodies and so many injured bodies. So it's just something they're going to have to try. I think you're going to see a lot more deficits that they're going to try to overcome, yeah. um, ex- exactly to your point. And the good news, at least from this game, it showed me that, I mean, I think we all agree that Minnesota's plan was don't let Saquon Barkley do anything. And for the yeah. most part, that plan worked. And that's something that's going to happen in future games. Uh, I mean, We saw that against Maryland last year, but of course that's a different circumstance. But this show that this game showed that Trace McSorley is able to do what he needs to do to get a win in a game like that, which is something that's really reassuring. Uh, and Maryland is probably going to try and follow that formula because Maryland uh, in S&P Plus, 40th nationally, 45th in offense, 34th in defense. Of course, their schedule has been um, bad. Howard, Florida International, Central Florida, and Purdue. So it'll be a little bit of a different test for them, but we'll save that for our podcast a little bit later in the week. Uh, really quickly, uh, let's go around, give our game MVPs for this one before we get into the most popular segment of the show, which is we're going to have Jordan play real pen live comment or not real pen live comment. Uh, so Nick. <laughs> no way. Oh, That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be something else. But for now, Nick, uh, just really quickly, who was your MVP? Uh, for me, it has to be Trace. Okay. Uh, he was overall pretty inefficient, but as we talked about, he was fun, and he was exciting, <laughs> and he did the damn thing towards the end. Yeah. I mean, the game was... I mean, he, the entire game basically boiled down to that one yard run to get them into scoring range. So, I mean, it's it's hard to choose someone else. I mean, Marcus Allen was great. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to choose someone other than Trace. And definitely an underrated part of this game was the growth he showed just in a week in terms of knowing when to keep and when to hold on the oh, read yes. option. I mean, even the final Saquon Barkley touchdown run, he read it perfectly. The defensive end stayed, so he gave the ball off to Barkley, and he had a free lane right through the left side. And that left it so he only had one man to beat to get to the end zone. So uh, in that regard especially, I think it has to be Trace. Yeah. I said Trace, too. Uh, I was already, and we'll, you'll read this in the uh, MVP roundtable, but I was all ready to say Allen, and then I looked up and I saw McSorley had 408 yards of total offense. He battled all that stuff, and it was just a really reassuring game out of him. Uh, I think Irvin Charles deserves some credit because that touchdown grab he had was nice, and Joey Julius deserves some credit just for being part of Minnesota's special teams game plan, which is fantastic. Uh, yeah, Jordan, who do you think? Well, first of all, if you award Irvin Charles the MVP, he's, it's going to be in his hands before he realizes he has it. So, ah. but hey, but um, no, I definitely first. agree. I think I think Trace McSorley, and I think Nick, uh, I agree with your your last point. The RPO that he executed at the end um, with the inside zone was just it was it was it worked flawlessly absolutely flawlessly and i also like how he was stepping up in the pocket more which is something that they have been working on over the past couple weeks and has been a real point of point of emphasis for him and also um he was under some pretty heavy pressure as we all we all saw and continue to see um he was under some pretty heavy pressure a lot so some of those throws 
Um, I like he, I like that he's not underthrowing them. You know, he was underthrowing earlier this season, and he maybe has has overcompensated for that now. But I like that he's not underthrowing, and I see a lot of him having to throw off of his back foot because of the pressure, which I hope he doesn't have to get into the habit of. Because we all know the last quarterback who got into the habit of doing that uh, didn't work <laughs> out so well for him. So I think that. Um, if he stays who he is and, and he continues to learn from every game, I mean, every game is a first experience for him. So if he if he continues to learn from every game, I think we're going to see a hell of a quarterback by the end of the year. Agreed. Nick, are you ready? I'm Let's so excited. Let's do it. All right. All right. In case you don't know, uh, I have one, two, three, four, six questions. Tonight. Six. Okay. In case you don't know, uh, this to date and actually probably forever will always be my greatest achievement and greatest contribution to the world. Um, but if you do not know, there is a Twitter account called Real Pen Live Commenter or Real Pen Live Comment, something like that. And what they do is they uh, take comments made on Pen Live posts and they post them on Twitter with no context at all. And they are hysterical because people that comment on Pen Live are crazy people. <laughs> so what we've done is I compile a list when we have special guests on of some comments that are real and straight from that Twitter account and some that I make up to mimic them to try to fool our contestants. So I'm going to give Jordan these six comments and she will decide whether they were real comments posted on Pen Live or ones that I made up. Jordan, are we ready? I feel like I should have a beer in my hand for this or something. <laughs> I'm looking at some older ones that aren't from this week's game, and if Nick picks any of these, I'm going to squirm because PenLive has been on fire the last couple of weeks. And I can't say there doesn't really seem to be any good strategy to go about this game. We had Peter Burke's play a few weeks back, and his strategy <laughs> after the first, he just he got so deep into his own mind. After the first two, he just decided to start picking the opposite of what he thought he was. And he 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 didn't do well. Yeah, that strategy didn't My work strategy well. is to win. There you go. Oh, there Let's do this. All right. Comment. Wanna know this week. <laughs> Comment number one. PSU should just go after Tom Herman. Make him the highest paid <laughs> coach in NCAA football history and move on to a new era atop the Big Ten East. That's fake. You totally wrote that. <laughs> That is a real... No way! Yeah. Oh, that's something I could see one of you guys sarcastically tweeting. Over for 1. Alright. Number 2. This defense is trash. We should hire <laughs> Hazlitt and make him DC. Can you repeat... Sorry, can you repeat that? I didn't hear the last part because I was guffawing. This, this defense is trash. We should hire back Jim Hazlitt and make him DC. Oh my god. <laughs> This is one of those comments where either it's real and I'm scared or Nick made it up and I'm really scared. Well, I'll take the lesser of two evils. I think it's real. Eh, that <laughs> is also... Boy, I'm bad at this. <laughs> Nick. Nick, what, uh, Nick can, can you I... walk us through like your creative process with some of these? So when I'm thinking of my fake comments, I look through some of the other comments to kind of get a sense of what they're saying because i want it to be i want it to be a little difficult so i kind of i look at what other people are saying and i kind of morph different things around it and i did see someone mention hazlitt so i thought <laughs> i'd throw it in there Yikes. all right three <laughs> number three why does franklin hold up one finger might as well call him <laughs> jimmy three fingers for the field goals 
Oh, that's pen live. Eh, that is... Oh my god! I'm so bad at this. Are you okay, Nick? I, no, I'm concerned no, for you. Well, okay. We've been, we've been calling him Jimmy Three Finger in our Slack during, for the last. See, that's not fair. Well, no, I don't no, no, know no. about that. And during the episode we had Peter on. Someone actually called him Jimmy One Finger because he always holds up one finger in pictures. So <laughs> Nick doesn't tell me the answers to any of these, but I knew for a fact that one was fake because there was no way that someone was going to use the exact same words that another person did and just put Jimmy Three Fingers in there. <laughs> oh, You're God. evil, All right, number... <clears throat> I know. I, I, Yeah, this game is ruining me. All right, number four. Why is JF trying to land four five-star players so much? Does he not have faith in he and his staff's ability to actually develop the players? Okay, I'm pretty sure that's Pen Live. Ah, uh, ding! You are Yay, correct. Yay, I got one. <laughs> All right. One for four. Thank All you. Right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. You're still on pace to at least match what Peter did. So you're good. Okay. <clears throat> all right. Number five. PSU needs to go back to recruiting some of the tough, lower rated DL and LBs that dotted Paterno's lineups for years and had great success with. That seems like something a, a pen liver would say. Oh, ding. Oh, you're wow. correct. Okay. Nice. A uh, <clears throat> couple of recruiting ones in there. All right. The final question. If you get this correct, you officially move into second place on our scoreboard because Peter went two for seven, I believe. Although, Ty, you're you're very far off of Ty Hildenbrand, who went, I think, five for seven. He did Yeah, well. Ty was wow. locked in on this. Yeah. All right. Number six. The final question of the night. <clears throat> I thought Barkley was supposed to be our next great back. Oh, Royster would have 200 yards against oh. that Minnesota. Christ. I don't want to believe that you wrote this. <laughs> Is that your final answer? Um, I think I think I'm gonna go with Pen Live on that one. Oh, thank you. Oh, you wrote that. Wow. Did you did you have to go wash your hands afterward? Oh that's yeah, that's <laughs> gross, man. Like I'm not even. I don't even know that 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 just came to me in a moment of sheer bliss. You know, I'm not the, sure. The worst part one. is is that person exists somewhere. The person who was wholly <laughs> convinced that Evan Royster would be better than Saquon Barkley. So, yeah, he probably. exists in Nick's subconscious. Obviously, <laughs> they're probably one of the other people that has a framed and signed Rob Bolden picture on their wall, like I do. <sighs> oh boy. Yeah, we, we should probably get off this podcast before Nick takes us into like the deepest darkest recesses of his mind uh but yeah jordan went two for six which if you're in the american league you would have came in second in batting average this year so congratulations on that still better than purdue still better than (laughs) well i mean everything is better than purdue i actually had a friend today say they're planning on going out to purdue for the penn state game this year and i believe my response was why so good for everyone who's going out to purdue this uh year but also, uh, good for Jordan, and thank you, Jordan, for coming on, and thank you for covering Penn State football for the last uh, year or so, correct? Uh, a year and a half or so, year and a half, yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, hope that uh, you're able to cover a Super Bowl team down in Carolina, mostly because if you do, that means that Nick Seahawks will not win the Super Bowl, and that's all I really need. Go Hawks. <laughs> the Hawks are bad. <laughs> 
Uh, they're three and one, bud. Yep. Well, I'm very bitter about the Seahawks, and I'll tell you why after this podcast. Uh, but yes, uh, follow Roar Lions Roar on social media. You can follow us on face, like us on Facebook, Roar Lions Roar, Twitter at RLR Blog. We're on a bunch of podcasting platforms, as we've said plenty of times. We're on Google Play. We're on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud. Like, subscribe, and if you're on iTunes, please give us a review. Uh, any good, bad, whatever reviews, so we know what we're doing and how we could do things better. And if anything like that pops up, please email Nick and I. You can find our emails on the site. Buy t-shirts. They're lovely. Keep reading and supporting RLR. We really appreciate it. And as always, thank you for listening to this edition of the podcast. For my co-host, Nick Pollock, I am Bill DeFilippo. We'll catch you all next time. Bye, y'all.